Welcome to the reading of the Sioux City Journal for Monday, February 5th, 2024. I'm your reader, Mary Francis, and you're listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Handicapped. On the front page of the journal this morning, Iowa DOT keeping humor in messages. And there's a photo of the highway and there's a DOT LED sign above it and the words read, Excuse for not buckling, question mark, bet it's a real killer. And this is from Nick Hytrek of the Sioux City Journal. The Iowa Department of Transportation has no plans to stop telling drivers to keep their heads out of their apps or anything else that might distract them while behind the wheel. Recent recommendations from federal highway administrators urging states to stop using funny or snarky messages on roadside message boards likely won't keep Iowa DOT officials from using a little humor, such as the infamous get-your-head-out-of-your-apps message from a few years ago to drive home the importance of safe driving. Quote, We're using our judgment and data to continue with the program as it is, said Willie Sorensen, an IDOT traffic safety engineer who's one of the people behind a program that comes up with the short safety blurbs displayed every Friday on approximately 80 message boards across Iowa. Known as Roadside Chat, the program began in August of 2013, aiming to increase awareness of traffic fatalities and advocate for safe driving practices that can prevent them. Every week, an updated traffic death total is posted on the message boards and alternates every few seconds with a safety-themed message that about 80% of the time addresses four main safety driving, safe driving topics. They are distracted driving, aggressive driving and speeding, seat belts, and impaired driving. The other 20% include awareness of school buses, snow plows, trains, bicycles, deer, construction zones, and other topics. Messages often contain pop culture references like, Is this heaven? No, it's Iowa. Drive safely in a nod to the movie Field of Dreams. Some are a little more blunt, like a recent one asking, excuse for not buckling, bet it's a real killer. Others are just plain funny, like the aforementioned get your head out of your apps while encouraging drivers to stay off their phone while driving, or another popular one informing motorists of upcoming construction-related lane closures by telling them shift happens. Those last two are the kind the Federal Highway Administration apparently does not like. Critics call the messages distracting or insensitive to families who have experienced traffic deaths. Quote, I guess the new signs attract attention, but are too distracting. Not a fan, one driver commented on the IDOT website in 2023. Sorensen said the IDOT is not making light of traffic fatalities, but hopes a catchy message may stick in drivers' minds longer reminding them to drive safely and help reduce the approximately 350 traffic deaths that occur in the state each year. We don't think fatalities are funny. We're using humor to get a safety message across, Sorensen said. The longevity of some messages is a real thing. Transportation planner Dakin Schultz, who works in the IDOT District 3 office in Sioux City, said he can't remember when it ran, but he chuckles when he thinks of a past message that used an often quoted line from the popular baseball movie, The Sandlot. Not buckled, you're killing me, Smalls, still comes to mind when he passes under the message board on his drive into the office. 
quote, if there's a good one, some of them will generate conversation, he said. Frankly, considering our mission, it's a departure in a way. All our messages are serious, and it's still serious in a way, but it's presented in a humorous way. I always look forward to seeing what the message is. As for the messages being a distraction, Sorensen said, the argument can be made that anything, other drivers, scenery, regular road signs, can be a distraction while driving. After more than 10 years, he said, there hasn't been one crash in Iowa attributed to the message boards. No one has come back to me and said they had a crash because of our message, he said. Are the messages achieving the mission of reducing unsafe driving? IDOT officials will probably never know. You cannot count the fatality accidents that don't happen, Sorensen said. But that doesn't mean you cannot put a smile on someone's face while reminding them to put down the phone or take their foot off the gas pedal. Despite what federal regulators think, most drivers seem to prefer it that way, and the IDOT sees no reason to change a program that's proven to be popular, evidenced by the fact that about a third of them have been submitted to the public. Sorensen said at least 90% of the comments he receives, and he receives a lot, are positive. He suspects that some of the remaining 10% aren't going to appreciate any of them, regardless if they're funny or serious. Quote, I think it's because of our format. We're not doing boring messages, he said. If they don't like puppies and kittens on the Internet, then they probably don't like our message boards either. Next story from the front page. Iowa AEAs respond to claims made by Governor Reynolds. And this is from Caitlin Yamada of the Journal. Iowa AEAs have provided more information regarding comments made by Governor Kim Reynolds about the services the agency provides. As the AEA bill continues through the legislative session, local AEAs are sharing more information about what they do and how this bill will impact them. Quote, the governor's bill is a power grab with 133 instances in which she takes decision-making away from the locally elected AEA Board of Directors and the State Board of Education and gives it to one person, the director of the Department of Education, unquote, said Northwest AEA Chief Dan Cox. The quote continues, that won't improve special education services for students. Reynolds, in an interview with the Sioux City Journal, said the AEA system, as it stands now, is failing students with disabilities while making it so that school districts have no idea what they are paying for. Cox and the Iowa AEAs provided the journal information regarding the claims made by Reynolds. The Iowa AEAs have also created a web page outlining claims made about the AEAs and their responses. Beth Strike of Central Rivers AEA said the AEAs are appreciative that legislators are listening to the concerns shared by stakeholders and are willing to bring those individuals to the table for discussions. Currently, the AEA bill has advanced from the Iowa Senate subcommittee and is eligible for a vote by the full committee. Below are comments made by Reynolds to the journal and responses given by the local AEAs. First, uh, here's a quote. Uh, this is Kim Reynolds, $525 million going into a system that has no accountability or transparency with horrible results. I have an obligation to the people and Iowa and to the taxpayers and to those kids. Most importantly, 
to make sure that these dollars are being used in the right way, unquote. Regarding the $525 or $29 million figure, Strike said it does not match the AEA's calculations and Reynolds' office has not responded to requests to clarify the number. Cox said the AEA's do have accountability and transparency at both the state and local levels. Quote, the Department of Education conducts accreditation visits for all nine AEAs, Cox said. If we do not meet the standards set by the DE, we get placed on conditional accreditation. It happened to Mississippi Bend AEA in 2019. They went through additional accountability measures each year and just had their final visit last fall. It was a success. On a local level, the AEAs are overseen by their board of directors, whose members are chosen by the school boards they represent, Cox said. He added, most superintendents meet monthly with the AEA leaders, and AEAs have a board advisory group. Quote, at Northwest AEA, we have 22 members this year, including two representatives from our non-public schools. The advisory is charged with making recommendations regarding current and future services, Cox said. The bill would give school districts more options on how they receive special education services and how they use the funding currently given to the AEA. Cox said the state had a similar approach for services like speech, occupational therapy, physical therapy, etc. before 1975. Quote, it failed. In 1974, the legislature was plagued with complaints about inequitable services, Cox said. That's why Chuck Grassley and his fellow Republicans in the Iowa House and Senate put together a bill to create the AEA system, unquote. Reynolds said there are good AEAs in the state, quote, but we have some school districts that aren't happy with the services that they're getting, and so this would give them the option to do something different, unquote. Strike shared that customer feedback scores for AEA services range from 75 to 99 percent satisfied and extremely satisfied across the board. Reynolds said currently AEA chiefs receive approximately 310 thousand dollars in compensation, but many are making around $340,000. She said the savings from reducing overhead will stay in the education system and be used to help teachers and students receive the services they need. Cox said the chief administrator's compensation is comparable to the urban districts in the AEA's coverage areas. Reynolds said the legislation is intended to address the state's poor special education test results and review how the money given to the AEAs is being used. The 2023 State of Iowa School Performance Profile shows 25.56% of students with disabilities were proficient in English language arts and 28.14% proficient in math. The scores represent a 45.84% gap between students with disabilities and other students in English and a 41.36% gap in mathematics. The AEA's state test scores don't tell the whole story of special education. Quote, when a special education student closes the gap and no longer needs services, they are exited from special education, according to the AEA's. For example, in 2022, 5,638 or 7.82% of students with disabilities in Iowa 
exited or no longer needed special education services because their IEP teams determined they had made sufficient progress and no longer needed services to be successful. We contend this sample size and data related to student IEPs and their individual outcomes is as compelling as some of these national data sets." Unquote. Reynolds said the U.S. Department of Education has had designated Iowa as a, quote, needed assistance, unquote, with compliance of the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. Quote, there are four categories used by the U.S. Department of Education to describe each state's support for students receiving special education services. Iowa is one of 22 states in the needs assistance category, the lowest in severity of consequence. Iowa has consistently been required to do the least intrusive action in response to this designation, and our state has never been listed in a designation level that requires more enforcement actions." Unquote. Strike said it's important to note that the outcome of the review is the shared responsibilities of the AEA, school districts, and the Iowa Department of Education. Reynolds said the AEAs receive funding for media services from the state but then charge districts to use those services, saying the state is paying for the services twice. This is patently false, Strike said. State funding for media services covers a number of services, including a physical and digital collection of classroom materials and resources, school technology support services, instructional technology supports, and roughly 50% of print, production, and graphic design services. Strike said districts pay for a portion of the costs for production, printing, and graphic design. And turning to more local news on page A4, Wyke says finishing jail is top priority. Ron Wyke, that's W-I-E-C-K, of the Woodbury County Law Enforcement Authority, says finishing the jail is the number one priority of the board. While many community members are concerned about the costs associated with the delay in the project timeline, Wyke said, they are first focusing on completing the jail and then will fully focus on seeking damages from the responsible parties. Quote, our main focus right now is to get that building completed, to get the sheriff's office to get the people out of the current LEC to the new LEC, White said during an LEC meeting on Tuesday. A day before the September 14th deadline for contractors to finish their work, LEC leaders announced the completion date had been pushed back to a proposed April 9 at an additional cost of nearly $1.8 million. Authority members have expressed their disagreement with the additional cost. LEC Authority member Mark Nelson said he received two phone calls last week from citizens angry about the project and where it is at. Nelson said they both felt that no one in the county is holding anyone related to the project accountable for the delay. Quote, I was disappointed that they thought that because it's a reflection on us that somehow we haven't done a good job a good enough job to let people know we are absolutely holding people accountable and we will hold people accountable Nelson said we are actively doing everything we can to build evidence send letters and engage these parties John A Templar Jr of Whitfield and Eddie Law and Jody McDougall of Fredrickson Bryan PA have been hired by the county and LEC authority, respectively, to help with the project delays. The entities have held multiple closed sessions during their 
or since their hiring rather. The county is working with its council to assess the additional costs and damages on the project and working to hold the responsible parties liable for it, according to an LEC authority news release. Weichs, or Weichs said the groups are putting the needed evidence together to hold people responsible for the delays, but the process will fully start once the doors of the LEC are unlocked. Quote, we're on top of it. It's going to work. We'll get there, unquote. Uh, in the news, these are briefs. Gender identity protections remain. Iowa Republican lawmakers spiked a bill that would have removed gender identity from the state's Civil Rights Act, taking away discrimination protections from transgender people. Republicans on a subcommittee said the bill was dead after it was voted down 3-0. to zero. Hundreds of demonstrators packed the Iowa State Capitol hallway on Wednesday, chanting and urging lawmakers to vote against the bill. Transgender Iowans said the bill was insulting and an attack on their rights. Representative Jeff Shipley, a Republican who introduced the bill, said it was intended to clear up what he saw as a poor definition of gender in Iowa code. Our next brief, income tax cuts floated. Iowa GOP lawmakers filed legislation this week that would put Iowa on a path to eliminate the individual income tax over several years. The Tax Policy Committee, chairs in both chambers, suggested the bill was, quote, the beginning and may not be passed this year. Republicans said in the near term they will focus on increasing and speeding up the existing flat tax cut. Our next brief, man charged with hate crime for satanic temple vandalism. A former congressional candidate from Mississippi, who admitted to destroying a statue as part of a display at the Iowa Capitol by the Satanic Temple of Iowa, has been charged with a hate crime. Michael Cassidy, age 36, from Lauderdale, Mississippi, faces a third-degree mischief charge for destroying the statue, which the group estimated to cost $3,000. And more briefs from the uh, Week in Iowa page. And it says, a recap of news across the state from the past seven days. Big photo shows um, a group of people at the state house and the caption, and they're holding up signs and, and pieces of paper. And the caption reads, LGBTQ rights supporters rally in the hallway outside an Iowa House Judiciary Subcommittee hearing on Wednesday, where Iowa lawmakers declined to advance a bill that would strip gender identity from the state's civil rights law and risk subjecting LGBTQ plus Iowans to discrimination in education, housing, and public spaces. In the They Said column, quote, we need to just step back and start to ask some of those questions with the overall objective of making sure that we're doing everything we can to get these kids with disabilities the education that they deserve and hopefully see better outcomes. And that quote from Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds on a bill to overhaul the area education agencies. And our next quote is from Senator Molly Donahue, Democrat Cedar Rapids, on the Reynolds AEA bill. And that senator writes, there is no flexibility in this bill. It takes local control away from our schools and our districts 133 times. If you're unhappy with the administrative costs, then deal with the administrative costs. 
but don't throw the whole baby out with the bathwater. Next little column of briefs is odds and ends. First one is Iowa football reports. Iowa football will self-report an NCAA violation after a Hawkeye staffer texted former Alabama offensive tackle Caden Proctor during the 2023 season. Proctor transferred from Alabama to Iowa this year after Alabama head coach Nick Saban announced his retirement. Next brief here, gender-balanced boards. A bill in the Iowa legislature would remove the requirement that Iowa boards and commissions have an equal number of men and women. Supporters of the bill say the requirement is no longer necessary, while opponents say the bill would take women out of positions of power. Our next section of briefs is called Water Cooler. First one is Death Penalty. Iowa Republican lawmakers advanced a bill on Monday to reinstate the death penalty in Iowa for someone who kills a police officer. The crime would need to meet a number of criteria before a person is eligible to be sentenced to death. And then the next brief there, immigration bills. Republican lawmakers are considering bills that would revoke in-state tuition from undocumented immigrants and make them ineligible for public assistance. One bill would also introduce the crime of smuggling of persons, making it illegal to transport or harbor undocumented immigrants and conceal them from police. Next section is called In the News. In the first brief here, Governor's AEA bill falters. A bill proposed by Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds to overhaul the state's area education agencies that provide special education to students across the state hit its first roadblock to becoming law when House Republican lawmakers declined to advance it out of a subcommittee on Wednesday. They said they wanted to, quote, further conversations before taking more action. Senate Republicans, meanwhile, moved the bill onto the Education Committee, but they said it will see more changes moving forward. Parents of children with disabilities said during the meetings that they were concerned that the proposal would weaken special education opportunities in the state. Next brief, Reynolds goes to Texas border. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds will visit the southern border at Eagle Pass, Texas on Sunday to join Governor Greg Abbott, along with a slew of other GOP governors. The visit comes as Abbott remains in a standoff with President Joe Biden over border and immigration enforcement. In our last little brief, private school enrollment up. Two-thirds of the Iowa students who received $7,600 in private school assistance this school year already attended private school, um, according to figures released by the governor's office last week. Private school enrollment increased by 7.4% this year, while public school enrollment declined slightly. Reward for finding Sac County Man is now $25,000. David Schultz was reported missing on November 21. It's been 75 days since David Schultz of Lakeview was last seen by his family. Schultz was reported missing November 21 after he didn't deliver a trailer load of pigs to a hog buying station near Sac City as planned. A $25,000 reward is now being offered for information on the man's disappearance. According to the minutes from the January 23rd meeting of the Sac County Board of Supervisors, 
County Attorney Ben Smith and Sheriff Ken McClure requested $25,000 of American Rescue Plan funds to use as a reward for information leading to the location of Schultz. The request was unanimously approved, and the reward money will be available through November, quote, due to ARP regulations, according to the meeting minutes. Previously, the Sac County Sheriff's Office shared on its Facebook page on December 26th that the Sac County Crime Stoppers organization had been reorganized and a $2,000 reward was being offered for information related to Schultz's disappearance. David Schultz, described as a 53-year-old white male, approximately 5 foot 11, 180 pounds, brown hair and brown eyes. He was last known to be wearing Wrangler blue jeans, cowboy boots, and a Peterbilt hat. According to Schultz's wife, Sarah, he left home the night before to drive to a hog confinement near Eagle Grove to pick up the pigs. Investigators learned that David Schultz was late to arrive at the hog confinement and was the last truck loaded, leaving the site at 10.50 p.m. Security footage shows David Schultz stopped at the Marker 126 Travel Center on U.S. Highway 20, east of Fort Dodge, for 16 minutes, around 11.15 p.m. Except for a, few, a brief few seconds on an Iowa Department of Transportation camera on U.S. Highway 20, that's the last known sighting of David Schultz. David Schultz's cell phone data shows he arrived at the junction of U.S. Highways 20 and 71 at 12.18 a.m. and began heading north, according to the Sac County Sheriff's Office. Around 3 p.m. on November 21, his truck and trailer were found, quote, parked on the travel portion of the road at the intersection of 190th Street and Union Avenue. That's northeast of Sac City. David Schultz's cell phone data suggests the truck had been there since 12.40 a.m. that morning, McClure said in a release. David Schultz's semi was shut off, and Sac County deputies found his wallet and cell phone inside. Nothing was missing from the wallet, and the load of hogs was still in the trailer. Video surveillance from near Weichmann Hog Buying Station shows that David Schultz never made it there for the drop-off. The immediate area was searched on foot and with a canine and an Iowa State Patrol air wing unit. Um, they were dispatched to use forward-looking infrared to try to detect a heat signature that would be consistent with a person, but nothing was located. The ground search was expanded over the next two days, with law enforcement, firefighters, and volunteers searching on foot and using drones. The United Cajun Navy a nonprofit organization that helps with search and rescue, also joined the search, bringing even more volunteers. According to the Sac County Sheriff's Office, more than 100,000 acres have been searched by volunteers. As of Friday, David Schultz remains missing. A GoFundMe has been created to help support his wife and children during this time. And that's at, the website is gofund.me slash BF0031A0. The Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation is assisting in the investigation. Our next story. Uh, Randolph, comma, dog owner reached settlement to allow support animal to stay in town. And it shows a photo of Rufus, an emotional support dog. 
Uh, Rufus is staying put. The dog's owner, Candace Cook, has settled her federal lawsuit with the city of Randolph, allowing her to keep the emotional support dog within city limits. He's licensed with the city now, which is what I wanted in the first place, Cook said. The city had previously ordered Cook to remove the dog because it was believed to be a pit bull and was thus prohibited from living within city limits under Randolph's dangerous dog ordinance. Cook sued the city in June, saying the Randolph City Council was denying her right to reasonable accommodations under the Americans with Disabilities Act and also was violating the Fair Housing Act. Cook, who moved to Randolph in March, said she had been harassed by police about Rufus and had been ticketed four times, totaling $400 for violating the city ordinance. The city dismissed those tickets as part of the settlement. The city was pleased with the quick resolution of the dispute, City Administrator Benjamin Benton said. It all started with her wanting to keep her dog, and that's the outcome, Benton said. A federal judge has granted an injunction to allow Cook to keep Rufus in her home while the lawsuit proceeded, but said the only viable claim she had against the city was under the Fair Housing Act. The injunction was dissolved in a dismissal order signed on January 26 in U.S. District Court in Omaha. Cook has dismissed a complaint she filed with the Nebraska Equal Opportunity Commission. Cook said Rufus, who she's had for four years, is a licensed and certified emotional support dog, which she said is a boxer-pitbull mix, but mostly boxer. The city's dangerous dog ordinance prohibits American Pitbull Terriers, American Staffordshire Terriers, and Staffordshire Bull Terriers within city limits, but says the breeds are permissible if the dog is a certified certif service animal. The city had argued that Cook's documentation filed with her city pet registration did not make it clear that Rufus is a service animal. Cook said she supplied documents from two psychologists and her treating physician, supporting her need for a support animal. Cook also registered him with the city as a pit bull, but said she did so because that's what his previous owners, who surrendered him to the Humane Society, called him. She said the Humane Society and her veterinarian were required to list Rufus as a pit bull because of the previous owner's statement. According to the settlement, the city will rewrite its dangerous dog ordinance, action the city had been considering before the lawsuit. Cook said she hoped the new ordinance would make it easier for future dog owners to register their animals with the city. Quote, the next person who has a service dog as an emotional support animal won't have to go through the hassles I went through, she said. And moving on to briefs. Uh, Ireton man placed on probation for vehicular homicide. This is Dateline Lamar's. The driver in a fatal Thanksgiving 2020 motorhome rollover has been placed on probation. Chad Vlotho, that's V-L-O-T-H-O, age 53 of Ireton, Iowa, pleaded guilty in December in Plymouth County District Court to vehicular homicide by reckless driving. District Judge Roger Saylor on Friday suspended a 10-year prison sen sentence and placed Vlotho on three years probation. Vlotho must pay a $1,370 fine and $150,000 in restitution to the estate of Jace Vandenberg, who was a passenger who died in the crash. Saylor noted in his sentencing order that Vlotho has already paid the restitution. 
Vlotho pleaded guilty to the charge, which was reduced from vehicular homicide, operating under the influence as part of a plea agreement on the first day of his trial. Vlotho was driving a motorhome that crashed at about 9.30 p.m., November 26, 2020, near the intersection of County Road L12 and Quest Avenue near Remsen. Vlotho Flo, was traveling north when he failed to negotiate a curve, left the road, and rolled several times. Law enforcement officers at the scene found open alcoholic beverage containers inside the vehicle. Other passengers told authorities Vlotho was the driver, and a blood sample obtained from Vlotho showed his blood alcohol concentration was 0.224%. That's nearly three times the legal limit, according to court documents. Vandenberg, age 23, of Ireton, died in the crash, and five others were injured. And another brief, man pleads not guilty of setting, house or setting fire in Sioux City House. A Sioux City man has pleaded not guilty of setting a fire that caused extensive damage to a Sioux City house. Victor, oh boy, Montepeque de Leon, I'm going to spell that, M-O-N-T-E-P-E-Q-U-E hyphen D-E-L-E-O-N. Victor, age 31, entered his written plea Thursday in Woodbury County District Court to charges of second-degree arson and first-degree criminal mischief. Firefighters responded to the fire 624 a.m., January 8th, at 1114 Jennings Street. Uh, Victor was alone inside the home and at the time of the fire, uh, at the home in, at the time of the fire, and was transported to Mercy One, where he was treated for smoke inhalation. According to court documents, he told the emergency room staff he had started the fire. The fire began in his bedroom, and his clothing tested positive for accelerants, as did the fire's point of origin. According to court documents, he was reported to be suicidal the night before, but refused medical attention and was left with family at the Jennings Street home. He told police that on the morning of the fire, he was suicidal, under the influence of methamphetamine, and had overdosed on prescription drugs. He could not recall how the fire started but he didn't deny starting it. The fire caused more than $50,000 in damage to the two-story house, which was red-tagged as unfit for occupation because of the heavy fire and smoke damage. Our next story, Siouxland Chamber lobbies for priorities at the Iowa Capitol. The group wants affordable housing, education, and child care. Then it shows a photo of members of the Siouxland Chamber of Commerce with Governor Kim Reynolds at the uh, Capitol in Des Moines. Members of Siouxland's business community met with Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds and lawmakers in the state capitol on Thursday to advocate for actions to strengthen Iowa's workforce and increase opportunities for business development. The Siouxland Chamber of Commerce had a delegation of business leaders, education officials, and elected officials that met with local lawmakers, legislative leaders, and department heads in Des Moines. Barbara Sloniker, the executive vice president of the Siouxland Chamber, said the trip was a chance to meet with Iowa's leaders face-to-face -face and provide input on the legislation affecting Siouxland businesses. Some of the group's top priorities, Sloniker said, are improving affordable housing and child care options, addressing education and mental health care, and funding economic development opportunities. Quote, 
While we're saying things we like in bills, things we don't like in bills, we all know it's a process, but it's important for our group to be here and say what we do and do not like and say we're willing to help if you need suggestions or here's why we don't like this and here's why we like that, unquote. The chamber is supportive of legislative Republicans' efforts to lower Iowa's income taxes, Sloniker said. Reynolds proposed a bill to accelerate existing income tax cuts and implement a flat 3.5% income tax rate by 2025. And House and Senate leaders have proposed their own tax cut bill. Cutting the tax rate helps keep Iowa competitive with its bordering states like South Dakota, which has no income tax, Sloniker said. Quote, obviously we want to be prudent, but we are very thrilled about the way it's been going, and the trajectory is to keep lowering it, so that's a positive, she said, and I think the state will reap benefits. House Republican J.D. Shulton, a Democrat who, I'm sorry, House Representative J.D. Shulton, a Democrat who represents Sioux City, said he met with the chamber group and was encouraged to hear that a number of the policies the chamber was advocating for, um, like expanding child care and housing options for workers, were aligned with Democrats' priorities for the coming session. Democrats are in the minority in both the Iowa House and Senate. Quote, they just view this as a Sioux City issue, he said. And so that's where I'm looking at my colleagues across the aisle and saying, hey, let's tackle some of this stuff. And there's a lot coming at us this early in the session, but I think there's a lot of things that we can work on together, unquote. Sloniker said improving education opportunities in Iowa is a top priority for the chamber as it seeks to recruit a skilled and educated workforce. She said the group wants to expand the number of years non-native English speakers are taught English language learner classes in Iowa schools from five to seven years. Quote, we're trying to make Iowa be again top in the nation with education, starting with pre-K all the way through higher ed, she said. Chamber representatives discussed Governor Kim Reynolds' proposed bill to overhaul the area education agencies and special education instruction in Iowa with the Department of Education Director Mackenzie Snow, Sloniker said. The bill, which was met with skepticism from Republican lawmakers this week, would allow schools to opt out of the AEA's special education instruction and seek it from a third party and make a host of other changes to their operations. Sloniker said the Siouxland Chamber has not taken an official position on the bill but the school districts in the area wanted to wanted the process to be slowed down. Chamber backs megasites. Another, okay, I think that's the title. Chamber backs megasites. Another bill Sloniker said the chamber is excited about is the bill to spend nearly a hundred million dollars on megasites, which are major economic development projects. The bill would direct tax incentives to projects that are located on at least uh, 250 acres have at least $1 billion investment, create high-paying jobs, and provide comprehensive benefits and be engaged in manufacturing, bioscience, or research and development. The bill passed a House subcommittee last week. Sloniker said the program would allow the state to attract major projects that are currently going to other states that have more competitive incentives. Quote, we always want to be everyone's first choice to locate their business, she said. We know the quality of life here is great, 
We know the cost of living is low, so we just need to kind of get in the game, she said. Our next story, SUX to receive more than $1 million. Then there's a shot of a uh, United Airlines flight um, taxing to the terminal at the Sioux Gateway Airport. The Sioux Gateway Airport will receive significant federal funding from the FY 2024 Airport Infrastructure Grants Program, according to a news release from Iowa Republican U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley. Sioux Gateway is one of 20 Iowa airports that are receiving a total of more than $15 million to modernize aging airport infrastructure and ensure safe and efficient travel throughout the state and the nation. The U.S. Department of Transportation will administer the awards through its Airport Infrastructure Grants Program, made possible by legislation backed by Grassley. Sioux Gateway will receive $876,150 for the construction of a new T-hanger for aircraft storage, maintenance, and service. Another $350,000 in federal funding will go toward the reconstruction of of out-of-date taxi lane pavement. Iowa's airports move goods to market and help get people where they need to go. Keeping this critical infrastructure in top shape will strengthen Iowa's economy and ensure Iowans' safety when they travel, Grassley said. I'm glad to see this significant investment put to good use in our communities. Additional Northwest Iowa airports receiving funding are Denison Municipal in Crawford County, $300,000 for the construction of a double pump fuel facility. Sioux County Regional in Sioux County, $123,118 for 23.95 acres of land adjacent to the airport property to use for future development. Esterville Municipal Airport in Emmett County, $360,000 for sealing, crack repair, and joint filling to 4,800 feet of existing runway that will extend the pavement's life. An Arthur N. New Airport in Carroll County, $80,000 for the installation of replacement runway end identifier lights to make the airport more accessible through an improved approach to runway ends. And here's a reminder that you are listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicap. I'm Mary Francis, and all material heard on IRIS is intended solely for the use of folks who live with a print disability, blindness, or visual impairment. And now we'll take a look at today's obituaries. Patricia Pat K. Wollenhaupt, age 86, of Papillion, Nebraska, passed away Tuesday, January 30th. Um, Graveside services were held over the weekend in uh, Glenwood, Iowa. Um, Memorials are suggested to the Faith Presbyterian Church there. Kenneth Eugene Hansen, age 94, rather, passed away Monday, January 29th at Memorial Health after a short illness. A celebration of life will take place at a later date. Remembrances may be given to the charity of your choice. James H. Jim Arrowwood, age 79, of Sioux City, passed away Monday, January 29. Funeral services... Tuesday, February 6th, at the Waterbury Funeral Service of Sioux City. Burial, Graceland Park Cemetery. Visitation one hour prior to service time. Christopher R. Wanamaker, age 50, of Decatur, Nebraska, 
passed away February 1st in uh, Onawa, Iowa. Services will be scheduled at a later date. Virginia L. Gockler, I'm going to spell that, G-O-E-C-K-E-L-E-R, age 80, of North Sioux City, passed away January 29. Uh, funeral services were held yesterday. Uh, Ruth Nielsen Olgard Jensen, age 101, passed away January 29. Uh, funeral services uh, were today at the Soldier Lutheran Church. And Beatrice May Nelson Russley Young, age 89, of Jonesboro, Arkansas, formerly of Joyce, Iowa, and Sioux City, passed away Wednesday, January 17th, following a long illness. Funeral services, uh, Saturday, February 17th, 10 a.m. at the Bethany Lutheran Church in Joyce, Iowa. Visitation, Friday, February 16th at the Schott Funeral Home in Lake Mills, Iowa, and that'll take place from 5 to 7. And now we'll turn to the opinion page. I'll start with the Your Views. Our first one comes from John Polifka of Mapleton, Iowa. Iowa Senate Bill 3092 provides for public schools to allow for chaplains to be employed by the district to counsel students ostensibly to promote students' mental health. One of the promoters of the bill implied that since the bill doesn't specifically say Christian chaplains, that the bill did not favor a specific religion and was even-handed. I would guess that would mean, assuming that the senator from Sioux Center was being honest, that chaplains of the Wiccan persuasion would be equally qualified to occupy this, quote, position. That was from John Polifka of Mapleton. Our next uh, Your View letter comes from Janet Crow of South Sioux City. Janet writes, Monday, February 19, is a national holiday honoring Presidents George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. On that day, will there be huge gatherings to celebrate at the Washington Monument or the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C.? Will, will there be national and local marches? Will President Biden and Vice President Harris make televised speeches extolling the virtues and accomplishments of these two men? Will there be a local commemoration event at any church or meeting place? Will the news media promote and report in detail all memorials and tributes? Will school students be thoroughly taught the history and unequaled achievements of these two presidents? I hope so. And that was from Janet Crow of South Sioux City. And our other Your View comes from Mark Sturgeon of Lamar's. Mark writes, let me get this straight. The party that, every time they lose an election, screams it was rigged, just tried to circumvent the will of the people of 48 states and rig the nomination for Trump after just two states had weighed in. If they're willing to do that, what makes you think, giving the opportunity they won't do so for the general election or any future elections, if we're allowed to have them? And I'm sorry, Trump actually said he greatly appreciated the gesture, but quote, for the sake of party unity, unquote, they should do it the old-fashioned way. Oh, I get it, the old-fashioned way of allowing the voters to decide. That was, a clearly, that was clearly a thinly-veiled attempt by Trump 
to appear ethical and be the bigger person, two things he's not really capable of. To paraphrase Alice in Wonderland, politics just keeps getting curiouser and curiouser. And that's from Mark Sturgeon of Lamar's, Iowa. And here's one from The Regulars. This is from Steve Warnstadt, a Sioux City resident. Steve Warnstadt is a government affairs coordinator for Western Iowa Tech Community College, former Democrat state senator. And he writes, too many don't accept facts of narrow vote margins. Just the facts, ma'am. Readers my age and older will recall that phrase attributed to Officer Joe Friday from the television series Dragnet. In reality, he never spoke those words. The closest was, all we want are the facts, ma'am. Just like the common recollection of Joe Friday's phrase, sometimes the facts aren't always what we think they are. For the past year, political partisans and some economists have been proclaiming an imminent recession. In the meantime, the gross domestic product increased at an annualized rate of 3.3% last quarter. The unemployment rate has been at under 4% for two full years. The number of new business starts nationally has exceeded 450,000 each of the last seven months. That's twice the number of monthly starts back in 2016. The effectiveness of American weapons in Ukraine has increased our allies' purchases of such weapons by 17% just last year. The United States' share of global arms exports increased from 33 to 40%. Increased production and updating of munitions manufactured in Iowa resulted in $363 million of investment in the state last year. American support of Ukraine reduces Russian capabilities, sends a strong signal to other aggressors, creates technical innovation in America, and sustains our industrial base. Current natural gas production in the United States is the highest on record. Production in each of the last 23 months was higher than any single month between 2016 and 2020. U.S. crude oil production was higher in three of the last four months than ever before. The U.S. has been a net energy exporter since 2019, with exports continuing to increase. With the expansion of renewable energy and the retirement of coal plants, U.S. carbon emissions declined by nearly 3% last year. The data above is only part of the overall set of facts that are important. From a practical policy-making view, there's a set of facts that are more essential. Republicans control the U.S. House with a narrow margin. Democrats control the Senate with a one-vote margin. The reasonable conclusion, with narrowly split control of Congress, would be that neither party will get much of what it wants. Unfortunately, too many don't accept this fact. While Congress should be preparing to receive the president's budget for next year, they're still negotiating this year's budget. Neither chamber of Congress has yet to pass a complete budget for the current fiscal year. The government of the most powerful nation on earth is presently incapable of functioning. This is almost exclusively due to the failure to recognize the limits of split control of Congress. Efforts to pass a budget efforts to pass a budget fail because of the unreasonable demands of a few legislators. Their perspective is reminiscent of the queen from Through the Looking Glass. Quote, 
why sometimes I've believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast, unquote. Unrealistic demands get members press attention, but they don't solve problems. Bipartisan agreement is possible. The infrastructure law was enacted in February of 2021 with a margin of 228 to 206 in the House and 6930 in the Senate. The Creating Helpful Incentives to Produce Semiconductors Act, called the CHIPS Act, passed in 2022 by a margin of 243 to 187 in the House and 6433 in the Senate. Efforts are presently underway to pass legislation addressing issues ranging from immigration to ensuring Ukraine remains able to defend itself from Russian aggression. Success will take compromise, goodwill, and agreeing to facts. As former U.S. Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan once noted, quote, everyone is entitled to their own opinion, but not his own facts, unquote. I think Joe Friday would approve of that statement. And this was from Steve Warnstadt, um, who's Government Affairs Coordinator for Western Iowa Community Tech. And then our political cartoon today, it shows a man in um, a high hat, a top hat rather, pulling uh, what looks to be an old man baby, uh, Joe Biden, with a rattle, holding him up high with a scarf around the man's neck. And another man looks like a town crier in a top hat with a thought bubble that says, looks like another nine months of the border crisis, foreign policy, and energy crisis. And the title of the cartoon is Puxatani Joe. And that's all the time we have for today's reading of the Sioux City Journal for Monday, February 5, 2024. I'm your reader, Mary Francis, and you've been listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicapped. You can listen to this and many of our local programs right there on our podcast page. And that's at iowaradioreading.org. Thanks for listening and have a great day.